0: Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. My name is Preston. I'm the host of today's show. And today is a Q&A podcast where I address uh, several questions that were sent in from my Patreon supporters. Can't get to them all, so we voted up the ones that uh, my Patreon supporters wanted me to get to. So we've got a whole slew of questions We're gonna, we are going to work through. Some of the ones we're going to address are what are areas that I think Christian leaders need to put more thought and attention into that are coming up in the next five years? If God chose Adam and Eve to rule the garden, then why would only men rule the church? What do treasures in heaven look like? (laughs) Why do so many Christians view decision-making in terms of open doors? Um, Is that a legitimate biblical concept? My thoughts on doctor-assisted suicide, my thoughts on the movie or the show The Chosen, does the traditional view of marriage lead to harm toward gay and lesbian people? Is the ESV-biased Against um, women in church leadership, and there are several other questions I'm going to get to, uh, which I'm going to jump into in just a second. If you want to uh, become part of the Patreon community and also take um, and and yeah, become part of the whole Q and A process, uh, asking questions, voting on questions, and you can go to Patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Raw. All the info is in the show notes. And for those of you who are viewing this podcast on on the line on the YouTube. <laughs> You can notice that I'm wearing my nifty camo uh, Newman Family Barbecue hat. Uh, this is uh, some merch that my buddy Jay Newman gave me. Uh, Jay Newman is the co-founder of Newman Family Barbecue. If you want to check out th- some of the most amazing barbecue you can ever sink your teeth into, then go to Instagram and look up Newman family bbq and you get all the info there and get pictures of some absolutely mouth-watering brisket and ribs and chicken and sausage and just i'm already getting hungry so i need to stop and by the way jay has no clue that i'm advertising his um barbecue company um i just i don't know i i, I wore the hat and i'm looking at myself in, in the camera here and i'm like yeah, hey, i probably should need to mention um something about newman family barbecue so thanks jay for cooking up some um absolutely scrumptious food. Okay, let's <laughs> let's dive in. So what we're going to do is we're going to get to uh, all of you are going to be able to hear uh, a few of these questions, and then um, my Patreon supporters are going to hear the rest of these questions. So you're going to get a sneak. For the, for those who aren't on Patreon, you're going to get a sneak peek of a few of the first questions we're going to address. So let's jump in. Uh, My first question comes from John. He says, what are some areas that I think Christian leaders need to put more attention into uh, for the next five or so years? Uh, What would you like to see books and dissertations written on? This is a great question that I probably spent more time thinking about it than I um, really had time for because it just sent me into some fun spaces where I can kind of just, you know, sit back in my chair and think, you know, what are some areas that I think need a lot more research into areas that maybe haven't received as much research as they should have received. And, I, you know, at first I was like, I couldn't really think of too many because I, as I look around, I look at books and look at social media, what people are talking about. I'm like, it seems like everything's kind of covered, you know? <laughs> but then as I thought more, I'm like, no, 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 there, there's definitely some areas that I think um, could definitely use more time, attention, maybe different approaches. So I'm primarily a, like, in terms of like, if I'm going to answer their, like the dissertation side of this, like, are there is there room for like an actual PhD dissertation that that gets really particular, and, and you got to really know the field well before you answer that question. We have to even distinguish between different fields of study, like biblical studies, theology, uh, philosophy, history, um, ancient history, modern history. You know, there's so many areas we can look at here. So I'm primarily I'm a biblical studies guy, and I. So in in terms of like really hardcore, like dissertation type studies, that's going to be really probably the only area I'm going to be able to speak into. The problem is I haven't kept up on a lot of that literature, you know, Um, that, that, that was my first kind of initial thought. I'm like, well, I don't I don't really even know the field in terms of like cutting edge scholarship coming out. I'm not going to a lot of like theological conferences where you can get kind of glimpses of what's coming down the pipeline. So I'm like, I don't know if I even have much thought on that but then I thought no there is an area that I've been doing that I've been doing a lot of research on that I think would be really interesting to keep pursuing and that is the relationship okay so here's one kind of I guess dissertation ish topic or just even if somebody just wants to do a deep dive but the relationship between um, early Christian responses to the Roman Imperial cult and its implication or it's Implications for modern politics today. I mean, honestly, this is. I'm kind of. I'm writing a book on that. That's 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 what I'm working on right now. Um, The tentative title is called "Exile." Subtitle is a Christian political identity. I call it my politics book, but I'm not really dealing with modern day politics. I'm dealing with what does, how should, or how does the Bible shape a Christian view of living in. What one might call the shadow of the empire. So much of the Bible is devoted to this kind of topic. You know, um, Christians or even you know in the Old Testament followers of Yahweh, kind of negotiating their allegiance to Yahweh uh, vis-a-vis or against the backdrop of other political powers that are that they are living under the authority of. Um, I mean, from I would say from the exile onward. The rest of scripture is kind of written from that context. Well, that's a huge chunk of scripture that is written from the context of followers of God trying to negotiate this really sometimes tense relationship between their allegiance to God and how they are to live as the community of God's people in the world and how they are to live a... You know, um, sub- submissive life to the governing authorities. Um, how are they there to seek the good of the city while not adopting the um, values of the city? Um, how can they believe both Romans 13, which says submit to governing authorities, and Revelation 13, which says, yeah, those governing authorities are also empowered by Satan? Like you see these tensions in scripture that I think are really interesting for contributing to how modern day Christians should view their. Um, relationship to governing authorities. There's been a lot of work done on the ancient context, and obviously there's tons of books written on like modern day politics, but to put those two in conversation, I think would be really fascinating. Again, I mean, mean, you say, I'm kind of writing that book right now, but my book is not dissertation level. Um, This would be kind of like, just kind of (laughs) diving into that conversation. um, But I'm already seeing just like, several dissertation topics kind of coming up along the way they can be more nitty gritty like how does the book of philippians or book of ephesians or or the book of acts um shape our political imagination for today so the, so there's there's a lot more deep dives that can they can the deep dive studies that I'm I'm coming across I'm like oh my gosh like there's there's a lot here so so that would be one area in terms of a biblical studies kind of general area that I think Could definitely use a few dissertations. I also think there's a lot of room for just a a biblical theology of of gender. Um, And when I say gender, I don't mean sex, like, like biological sex. So, you know, in more recent years, people define gender as something different than sex. So sex is biological sex. Well, I mean, there's different ways to interpret that, but Gender, when used in distinction from sex, refers to the psychological, social, and cultural aspects of being male and female. And there's different subcategories under that. Gender identity, gender role, gender expression. And so when I say, what does the Bible say about gender? I'm not saying, what does the Bible say about males and females as biological realities? I'm talking about, um, what does it say about gender when gender is defined as something somewhat different than sex? Um, there's, there's really only been, I mean, a few books on that uh, conversation that I'm aware of. Again, tons of books written on men and women and, and gender roles or whatever. Um, but in terms of, I think understanding the relationship between gender and biological sex, what, how does the Bible contribute to this? Um, you have, you know, male and female sex distinctions all throughout Scripture, rooted in Genesis one. Um, you also have people like the eunuch in, in Matthew 19, Book of Acts and in the Old Testament, that that might represent somebody with, you know, some kind of uh, disorder of sex development or an intersex condition. You also have certain, so certain like, so when we talk about the psychological, cultural, psychological, social and cultural aspects of being male and female, like passages like 1 Corinthians 11, um, Paul does seem to endorse cultural norms surrounding expressions of biological sex w- with regard to hair length hair co- head coverings I and mean, there's debate about what Paul's even talking about there but even something like that like how much of how how what kind of cultural expectations for how men and women should act should be endorsed abided by followed by you know the believers in God how much do we have room to be countercultural in our expressions of our male and female biological sexes? Are There any unique command? Well, th- this gets into an area where I think people have touched in. You know, are, are there what kinds of gender role different gender roles um, are endorsed by scripture? So, anyway, th- these are just some of the questions that come up. I'm mean, not, you know, I, I dealt with this to some extent in, in my book, Embodied, and, and there's been other uh, books being written on this. I, I know my friend Rachel Gilson who is, is doing her PhD on a on this area, you know, and I think uh, Rachel probably be the first one to say, yeah, there's there's other, there's, there's more work to be done here. So in terms of biblical studies, those are some stuff, those are some things that come to mind. I think on a more general level, I mean, I I think we're obviously um, faced with the whole question of just sexual abuse in the church. Um, In our post Me Too, post Church Too uh, context, I think these Questions around women in the church and sexual abuse in the church are uh, hugely important. And I know there has been quite a bit of work done there, but I think there's always room for, for more work there. I think technology is a huge one. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Josh Smith you know, is doing work on a, a theology of robots, and he's busy. He's a busy guy because there's just so much coming out around AI, r- robots, um, and other advancements in technology and how Christians should should think through that on a theological level, and I think that's an area that will always be there will always be needs there because just technology just keeps developing. So there's new questions being raised every single day. Here's a book that I think I would love to see written is basically a a 2023 version of Neil Postman's "Amusing Ourselves to Death." Uh, Neil Postman wrote this book "Amusing Ourselves to Death" back, and I believe the, the mid 80s was it? And everybody who reads this book today says this book feels like it could have been written yesterday. even though Neil Postman's writing in the 80s he's talking about um, what how the, f- the, the the screen form of communication like instead of just like radio or newspaper like like getting information out there, now that we've become a screen driven culture and he's taking thinking of the television, how that is just completely reshaped. How we process information, how the very medium shapes the message. This is a, kind of a famous idea: the medium is the message. I think that comes from Postman. No, I don't think it comes from him. I think it's quoted in there. It's kind of it's a big part of the book. But so, I mean, he's he's dealing with questions that we're dealing with today. Only he's dealing with them back in the eighties, and it's so prophetic. And I, you know, I just read the book recently, and almost every sentence, I'm like man, would love to explore this in terms of our post-internet world. Would love to think through this question in terms of social media, things that he wasn't even aware of back when he wrote that book. So I, I think, and, and I know that there has been, I think one of his students wrote a book back in like the mid-20 teens, like 2015 or something, as kind of an update, kind of like what would Neil say today? Um, I think I've, I've not read that book. But even that, I mean, I I think a lot of things have changed even since 2015. So, um yeah, those are some thoughts. Uh, I hope if some of you are um, yeah, uh, curious about chasing one of those down, then I think there's a lot there to consider. Next question comes from Alex. If God chose both Adam and Eve to rule the garden, then why would he say only men to, are able to rule the church? I mean, this is a great question. It's kind of a loaded question because this is an argument from the egalitarian side of this debate <laughs> that, you know, when you look especially at Genesis 1, you see nothing but mutuality. Uh, God created them male and female and then commanded them both to rule over the earth. And there's no evidence in Genesis 1 in particular that one is to rule over the other, one is to lead the other, that there's any kind of uh, differences in roles here in in Genesis 1 is how the argument goes. Genesis 2 opens up a few more questions. Again, egalitarians are going to say, no, we still have, you know, um, both of them are doing the same thing. Both of them are totally equal. Even that, I don't like framing it in terms of both of them are equal. Of course, they're both equal, but that doesn't mean you, you can have equality and role distinctions. Like that—that's kind of a starting assumption, you know. If you say no, if there's any role distinctions, then that means there's no more equality. Then you've, there's no more discussion. You've already ended the discussion. You have to be egalitarian because equality is something that's not debated. We have to, you know. So I think I, I think starting with the assumption—that assumption that if we can show equality in Genesis one and two, therefore that rules out any kind of role distinction in the church and in in, in the home. I just think that logic starting off is not helpful or even sound. So anyway, so let me back up. I don't don't want to even word it in terms of like uh, equality language. Does Genesis 2 talk about different role distinctions? That's getting a little bit more... um, there's there's a little bit more debate there. Um, and then, of course, in Genesis 3, then now we have a lot more uh, distinctions opened up. But then now we're dealing with the fallen world. So how many of these distinctions and roles are due to the fall? How many are are part of God's intended design in, in, in creation? So these are the questions that come up. I, I would say that, you know, yes, of course, men and women are commanded to rule the earth in Genesis 1. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're both doing the exact same thing. I mean, think about it. You know, male and female, he created in the in the image in the image of God, he created them. Genesis one twenty seven. The very next verse says, "Be fruitful, multiply, and you know, fill the earth and rule over the birds and the fishes and the sea and everything." And most people would say that part of ruling over the earth is procreating and filling the earth. That's part of your our our command to rule over the earth. But clearly, in procreation, men and women are playing different roles. They're both commanded to rule, but that doesn't mean they're ruling in the exact same way. So. Even if you follow the logic of the argument, I don't think it would nec- just because both are commanded to rule doesn't mean both are also commanded to, to, to rule in the exact same way, because again, it's linked to the command to procreate. I'm also nervous about the language of ruling applied to church leadership. Um, I did a bit of digging on some of the language used in Genesis 1, um, 128, when we're commanded to rule or subdue the earth and rule over the earth. The two verbs here uh, are katakuriu. Gosh, I can't even pronounce that. And it's a really strong kind of like, it's a really strong ruling word. Like it means to bring into subjection, become master, to gain dominion over. It's used in Acts 19, 16, where the man in whom was the evil spirit, he leaped on them and he mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. That doesn't feel like the language Paul and well, the whole New Testament uses to describe how servant leaders should lead the church. Like it's the exact opposite. This is the kind of like Gentiles lorded over them, you know, Matthew 20 kind of rule that Jesus says, don't do it that way. Whatever kind of rule is conceived there in, in Genesis one humans ruling over the earth. We have a kind of a linguistic distinction in how, um, uh, leaders are commanded to lead the church in in the New Testament. The second, there's another word here, arco, which is a really common word, just means to rule or to to govern. Yeah, so this is this is one word used to describe how humans are to uh, govern or rule the earth. But again, this is the word that's used in math in Mark 10:42 to describe Gentile rule, not Christian like gentile like like pagan rule not christian rule and again that doesn't mean that like we're supposed to rule the earth as pagans rule you know i'm not i'm not mapping the the direct meaning on it. i'm just saying these these are the kinds of ruling type words that are deliberately avoided when the new testament talks about leadership in the church and this is something that andrew clark and others have have pointed out that it is really curious that the common just the really basic words for for ruling for leading for occupying a position of high high power, high status, that these common words in the New Testament that, that are used to describe ruling in general in the New Testament are avoided when Paul and others want to describe leadership in the church, which I think, again, is just, I think Paul and others go out of their way to stress the idea that, that leadership in the church should not look like how people rule in different ways in, in the broader society. So, yeah. So I, I would be nervous. Uh, um, yeah. Again, so just to summarize. I, I don't think I think male and female can both rule over the earth without them both doing the exact same thing. I think there can be role distinctions within equal rule, and also get nervous about drawing too straight of a line between the command to um, exercise rule over creation and the com- and, and the the framework through which um, certain believers should lead the church. Okay. Next question. What do treasures in heaven look like? It seems materialistic to do something motivated by treasures in heaven or on earth. But that's but we're told that's our reward. Davis, a uh, great question and I I I was both nervous to answer this question and excited because I don't have an answer. I was like, I've always wondered (laughs) this. Treasures in heaven. And and this is similar to, well, let me just look at a few passages here. First of all, so we know that we're dealing with actual texts and scripture. Um, Matthew 620, Jesus, you know, we're told to by Jesus to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Um, Matthew 1041 mentions rewards that await believers who serve the Lord faithfully. Great is the reward promised to those who are persecuted for Jesus's sake. Uh second Timothy well in 2 Timothy 2, 2 8, or sorry, second Timothy 4-8, various crowns are mentioned. Crowns that await us. Uh, Jesus says that when he returns in Revelation twenty he'll bring with him uh his reward. And uh let's see, Colossians 3 23 to 24 serve the Lord wholeheartedly because if we do so, we'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Uh, Matthew ten forty two. anyone who gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple will not lose their reward. So you have reward and treasures in heaven kind of language. Pretty, It's pretty common in the New Testament. And I'm embarrassed to say... Hey, friends, I hope you enjoyed this portion of the Patreon-only Q&A podcast. If you would like to listen to the full-length episode and receive other bonus content like monthly podcasts, opportunities to ask questions, access to first drafts of my research, and monthly Zoom chats and more, then please head over to patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw to join Theology in the Raw's Patreon community. That's patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw.